And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio Live. Tonight, it's open chat. It's open chat, Mike. We're going to open it up so that anyone out there in Facebook, YouTube, Twitter land, wherever you are watching, you can come in. You can come in and ask us any kind of question you want to ask us. Um, doesn't mean we're going to have the answers, but you can ask us a question and uh, we're going to uh, be willing to engage with those who are watching, viewing, and you want to come in. I'm going to put that up in a little bit here. So episode number 515, 515, we're doing an open chat this week, um, kind of just putting it out there. We're going to talk about the IFB, uh, the new IFB, uh, but we're also, like I said, in the introduction, going to open up the stream to allow you to come in and join us. And so I'm going to put that link in here. Mike, how are we doing, brother? Uh, doing pretty good. <clears throat> So I got my water. I got my list of Christological heresies. Let's go. Oh, and some coffee. Nice. So there it is. There is the link. It is up. If you want to come in to G220 uh, Radio's uh, episode here tonight, this is a first, really. You, you remember I posted on, on Facebook earlier that back in the day when I was on blog talk, I used to say open phone lines tonight. Well, unfortunately, the sad thing is if you can do it with melon, which is what we use, I haven't figured out how to do it. Uh, as far as a phone line, somebody calling in, but I don't, I don't think they have that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the option is available. I, I wish it was. I w and there's probably a way I could do it through the mixer and do all this to kind of have people call into the program. Um, because that would be nice to have that option for those people who are unable to connect. So like if it's a last minute, they're trying to get in, their computer's not working, boom, they could just call in and be good to go. That would be something great. Uh, maybe we'll shoot something to Melon and saying, I mean, hey, consider this. You could always use a Zoom and then you send it out to Melon. I know that's yep. like old fashioned, but use like a virtual camera. Mm -hmm. Zoom, the virtual camera is linked to Melon, and then it shoots out that way. I might be able to work. Yeah. Some ways we could just kind of try to figure out how to come up with some some ways of, of doing things a little bit better here. We're always continuing to learn here at G220 Radio because it's been a process. I mean, we went from blog talk radio, which basically had everything laid out for you. Right. I mean, but the quality was not the greatest, but it was easy because, yeah. you know, when you're when you are a working man who has this radio program and you don't have a lot of time to do editing and all these things to try to make it sound pretty, you know, um, then it just kind of. It makes it difficult. And so blog talk radio was a good option back in the day, but the quality again was not the greatest on blog talk. And you can tell that by, if you go back and listen to previous episodes of G220 radio from the beginning, before we came over to going live 
And we used Zoom, as you mentioned, Zoom earlier. We was using Zoom, sending it through OBS and then out to uh, YouTube. And uh, then we've moved to Melon. And so it's just, this has been a great streaming service for us so far. I know some people use uh, StreamYard and and I'm sure there's probably even some other ones out there that I'm not familiar with. And I'm sure there will be more that will come and somebody will develop uh, others. But so far, I think Melon has been pretty good for us. But um, yeah, so it's open chat tonight. If anybody wants to jump in, then it is open. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Um, we will love to have you come in and join. So anyways, Mike, <clears throat> getting into uh, this new IFB. What, what let's, maybe we could start by let's ex- discussing, let's, let's first define what IFB is. Yeah. Well, that's Just what I'm saying. Well, people don't know. Right. Maybe we can start with what the old IFB that we are familiar with is. Uh, I grew up in an IFB church, independent, fundamental Baptist. Okay. And so <clears throat> I grew up in an IFB church. Um, King James preferred. I would say that they, they they strongly believed in using the King James Bible, uh, which is fine. If you want to use the King James Bible, I would encourage you to use it. So long as you're reading the Bible, if you're getting the Bible and your your intake of, of the Bible is, is good and that's the version you're using, praise God. Keep reading the Bible, right? But there are some that are very KJV only. Not all. There are some that are very KJV only. And there's some other things with the IFB uh, that <clears throat> and we can probably talk about and then kind of how they shift this. What, what is this new IFB? So maybe what, what, what are some of your uh, initial thoughts on independent fundamentalist Baptists? So, yeah. So if you just even take the definition, they're independent. That is, they're, I guess they have like close associations with maybe other churches, but unlike the Southern Baptist, which is a cooperation of supporting churches, the an, an independent Baptist church does not associate with others. They may have churches of similar minded that they may do things with, but that's like the extent of it, at least from kind of my understanding of it. You don't have a lot of these churches supporting missionaries together or supporting a school together. They're kind of their own. This is what we, this is us. Mm-hmm. Um, very Baptist in, in that sense. Although as we said in 1689, 1689 holds to a associationism. So they're not 1689 Baptists. So they're independent in that way. And then they're fundamental. And used to be fundamental would be those who believed in the fundamentals of the Bible, of the gospel. This is the term kind of used and thrown around in the 1920s. It has kind of shifted meanings. So like in that sense, I'm a fundamentalist. You'll even hear the fundamentalist. Like if that's how it is, I believe in kind of the historic understanding of the gospel as opposed to the modernist or liberals, as we would probably as we would call them, that kind of departed from Christian orthodoxy. 
But in the 1950s, 60s, there was this switch in fundamentalism that kind of has this IFB um, development and that there's kind of this then rejection of the culture, rejection of the government, kind of um, to say like they try to stay out of a lot of political affairs. Now, I think that is somewhat different now as IFB as a conglomerate has changed throughout the years, but it's kind of one aspect of it was their kind of pull out of culture. their pull away from not that they didn't vote or in it. They just wasn't as politically involved. They kind of let the culture do what the culture does for, for good and for ill. That is, um, so when I think of IFB, you have this understanding of people that have kind of set up themselves in one sense, detached from the culture, or they would say they're detached from the culture, holding on to kind of these fundamental beliefs. Now they would ironically not be as historic as like 1689 or a Presbyterian or something like that. Um, and a lot of their doctrine, they're dispensational, which is, I know people would probably disagree with this more modern than a covenantal understanding. Um, though in older literature, that language is kind of dispensation is used to distinguish a little bit between the covenants. They'll kind of use it, um, with more having a covenantal understanding, or at least the, the writings I've read that have used that language um, in church history. Um, like you said, they're usually, they are King James, probably more popular King James only, but you do have some other King James preferred. And they kind of hold on to this revivalistic mentality. You have your great revivals. You bring in the guest preacher and kind of those. And so when I think of independent fundamental Baptists, whether these are correct, that's what I come at it. Not only from kind of this historical, but what we see today with it. I think a lot of times assumed with kind of country preaching is also wrapped into that. Um, there's probably more to get into um, with it. But I think those kind of sum up what we think of when we think of the independent fundamental Baptists or the IFB. Yeah. And because they're independent again, they're, they have the autonomy of the local church. So therefore they could maybe, uh, as you said, do something with another church that's like minded, but yet again, that church has its own authority. So another church is not going to be able to come in and tell them what to do. And so with the independent fundamentalist Baptist churches, uh, I, like I said, I grew up in an independent fundamentalist church and very godly people loved them. Uh, they loved the Lord. They preached the gospel. They preached the word of God. Um, they're, they were a good church biblical church that I belong to. They weren't reformed. Um, 
Although I found out later after I got saved as an adult. So even though I grew up in the same church that I'm speaking of and found out later that the pastor that was there when I was a child, he actually was a Calvinist, which as I was growing up, I thought that was, well, not as I was growing up, I didn't really know anything about that. But when I really got saved and I started growing in my understanding of theology, to me, when I would have these conversations with, you know, IFB churches, they were completely against Calvinism. And the pastor that I had at the time as an adult was against Calvinism. Um, not to the degree that I see some people take it, but just they didn't, he didn't agree with Calvinism. And, but I found out that the pastor, when I was growing up there, uh, who was the pastor of my pastor, cause my pastor was a deacon when I was a child. Um, he was a Calvinist. I didn't know that, you know what I mean? And, and his son uh, preaches up in Michigan or was up in Michigan. I think he may have moved to another place uh, now, but he was up there preaching in Michigan and he's a Calvinist. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of times we can have these ideas or um, views of what we think uh, the IFB is. And much of what you said, I think is, is on point with a lot of what we find in the IFB churches while there can be some nuances between them. Right. So, but that's overall what you're going to kind of find now this new IFB movement. Now, Steven Anderson has been in the news. He's been on social media for a very long time. And Mike, I don't know if you're familiar with Steven Anderson, but, uh, yeah, I'm heard a sermon. Was it, uh, that may, men go to the bathroom standing up. Mm. That's kind of one of his. So that was, I was over 10 years ago since that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's, yeah, he's been around for a while, a long time. But what I think we're starting to see is um, more and more people are, and it's, it's interesting because as I've listened to some people about this topic, they call they called this, a lot of these guys in this new IFB movement, Andersonites because, you know, I, I don't want to say he's the father of the new IFB. I, I don't know enough to say that um, confidently, but he's definitely influenced a lot of these younger guys in this IFB movement who are moving towards this new IFB understanding. And at first I was kind of wondering like, what is the difference between the new IFB and the old IFB? And this week I listened to, or this previous week, I listened to some messages from them themselves speaking about old IFB, new IFB, and some of the differences. One of the things that's really, that's, it's kind of like you see them moving towards a more reformed kind of view of things while yet still hating reformed theology and, um, and still having like they're they're very aggressive in their preaching which we're going to see a clip where you know a couple of sermons where um I posted them and uh, about John MacArthur and these guys they really don't like calvinism they don't like calvinist which is strange because they're not dispensational they're against dispensationalism they've made documentaries against dispensationalism they hold more to a covenant theology but they don't they don't call it covenant theology. This is what's a little confusing still for me. They believe it's replacement theology. Like where, and so they, I think what, what we would find if we was to dig into it a bit more 
is there's not a continuity between the covenant and the Old Testament, New Testament. It's no, the Jews had their their shot, they blew it, so now it's the church. We've replaced Israel, where we see this continuity, where no, the elect are always the people of God. He always has a remnant, and the Gentiles are grafted in. You know, these to the natural branches broken off, Gentiles grafted in, and then we see that the, the natural branches can be grafted back in if they come to faith in Christ, right? So, but they do hold to a replacement theology. What do you think about that, Mike? I mean, I feel like that's surprising. Yeah, it was in, shocked me. In one sense, because of its covenant theology's connectedness with Calvinism, which they are radically against. Mm -hmm. And so it, it does seem a little bit um, just weird, especially mm -hmm. kind of like even with the idea of replacement theology, because that's what dispensationalists would say against those in covenant theology. Well, you just replace Israel with the church, right. which is not how we understand it. Right. Um, but in, in one sense, there's now this position that is getting a, a foothold. I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's a loud minority um, because of what they do. I think I just saw one trying to see if they have a website. Uh, like one person is kind of equating them to the new West, um, Westboro, Westboro Baptist church. Um, out of um, Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it is a little strange, shocking to think mm -hmm. that they have come into it. Um, but is, and it, it may be just as kind of, I don't want to say literal because it's not, you have, the Jews still being grafted. The Gentiles are grafted in into the tree, but the tree is still alive. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like a literal, completely literal, although they probably said it what would be. Yeah. I don't know. It's, there's a lot to think about. Well, that's, that's the one thing that as I was listening to it and um, I even sent it to a friend of mine, uh, uh, he's been on the program, nine guy, um, because one of the videos I shared, he said, this is interesting. And I said, yeah, they're moving towards more reformed understanding while yet despising reformed theology. And so there's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like for an example to try to explain, it's like new covenant theologies, not fully going covenant theology, not wanting to be dispensational. And they're just kind of like trying to find a middle ground. Right. And so it's like these guys despise dispensationalism. They despise Zionism. They are not for Israel at all. Um, and they are not covenant. They don't like Calvinism. They don't like reformed theology. But yet they're trying to. So it's kind of like they're trying to move away from dispensationalism, which we would say, look, we have brothers that are dispensationalists. We love them. You know, I'm not saying that it's a heaven or hell issue. Uh, it's not something that I'm going to 
cut somebody off. But I, I do believe it's not biblical. I don't believe that we see that in the scripture. We see God as a God of covenants. So it's in one sense, they're kind of moving away from that understanding, but yet they don't want to go into really the option of covenant theology, because then that would put them in the reformed camp. They don't want to do that. So it's kind of like, we're just going to call ourselves replacement theology. What we've constantly argued against for so many years as dispensationalists, we're going to say now we're, we are replacement theologians, right? So yeah. it, it's, a, it's, strange, it's a strange thing for me uh, as I was listening to, and I listened to two people. I listened to Stephen Anderson, and I listened to another one of the guys that are kind of under his, not under his authority because they have the independent, you know, their fundamental independence but yet still kind of influenced by him. And one of the things that I've, I've um, noticed in this, the people that are in the new IFB that are kind of in, been influenced by Steven Anderson, the one thing that it reminds me of, and, and I'll say this, um, it's like, it's, it's cult like because they sound so similar the words, the phrases, the, the, the way that Stephen Anderson speaks in his sermons, these men do the same thing. It reminds me of the Hebrew Israelites that regurgitate everything that their elders have said. It's never a, a thought of their own. It's what they've heard in another video, and they push it out. And they sound so much alike. So much alike. You know, and, and that's that for me, I'm not saying it is a cult. I'm saying it's very cult like. Um, and it, it it's that's a scary thing, you know, like that you're just exa almost exactly an imprint of your the one who's given you so much um, uh, who you who you've kind of who's kind of influenced you can't spit it out, but who's influenced you. And not that we shouldn't imitate others like like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I'm talking to the degree of the mannerisms, the speech, the phrases, like exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just tells you that. I mean, and and you reject one, you have to go the other way. Um, you know in it however they may may place it it almost seems to be like a farther away um even from like presbyterian mindsets kind of the ex other extreme which kind of this may be a character seemingly is what independent fundamental baptists kind of are and that might be over generalization a little bit um obviously there is some in there but yeah it's just it's how to we have to be careful i mean so i'm looking so this is the faithful word baptist church steven anderson's church this is their mm. doctoral statement it's very short and you know some of the stuff they say there 
I would agree with. Um, but then you have statements like, we only believe in the local church and not in a universal yeah. church. Yeah, they don't believe in a universal church. Yep. And you sit there like, so like, no, like, do you not understand what the universal church is? Or the fact that Ecclesia is used in universal sense throughout, like you're interpreting all of this in a certain way. I think it's you off from saying historically that you're connected to everyone else. Yeah. So I just, <clears throat> I haven't really followed the new, IF, I don't follow the IFB kind of in general. Right. That's not, right an area of my expertise to to say it in that way. And the IFB is even farther. Like I know Steven Anderson and I hear his name every once in a while or if I listen to the dividing line. But that's kind of like the extent of the, the new I, IFP. Yeah. You know, and I guess maybe I should take the Gamilio I guess I take the Gamilio kind of statement if this is of a god. If is if this is of God, you don't want to be fine rejecting them. But you see the character that comes out of there, right? To make the judgment, I mean, one side, you know, they're talking about their hateful speech, and they do have hateful speech, mm -hmm. even if it's based on true statements. It's still hateful. Right. And it's almost, they probably wouldn't like this. Almost at times it was like they're cage stage Calvinists mm. to the extreme. Yeah. But something other than Calvinism, because they're yeah. not for that. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. And and that's the one of the things, some of the other things that they laid out that the, how they're different is this is from from the two sources that I, I watched. Um, one was Stephen Anderson giving in, another was another one of their um, their guys from another church, pastor of another church, and they were showing the differences between old and new. And they said, "Is we don't do missions." They said the, these these old IFB churches would put people on deputations. They'd be on deputations for for years, and you know, um, never going anywhere. You know, just constantly on deputation, getting people's monies in and then just kind of waiting and waiting to try to go anywhere. And they said, we don't do that. We, we don't we don't we don't do tracks. We do soul winning. And I've seen Steven Anderson soul winning. It's going knocking on doors, which was kind of confusing me for me because I know old IFB went around knocking on doors. So, you know, but they say they don't do tracks. But what they do is they make documentaries. Documentaries to kind of expose dispensationalism. They are pre-wrath. They're still pre-tribulational or they're still pre-millennial. I should say not pre-tribulation. -pre they're pre-millennial, but they're pre-wrath is what they are, right? Post-wrath. This is post. Post-wrath? Okay. Yeah, after the tribulation. So post- After pro tribulation. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. No, it's pre-wrath, mm -hmm. It's pre -wrath, right? It is pre-wrath. After yeah. the tribulation, before the wrath. Before the wrath. Mid-trib? That'd be mid-trib. In the well, it, mindset. Well, 
Yeah, maybe in between mid and po like post. So it's kind of like you're still getting the yeah s somewhere in there, right? It's yeah. it's this is what they they speak on. <clears throat> so they make these documentaries. One of the other things is, and and speaking of that, like the the missionaries being on deputation, you know, I I'm not in disagreement. I think there are. This is why Southern Baptist theolog, you know, the uh, the SBC has the co-op where you can get people on the mission field without trying to worry about them going around, gathering support. We can get them out there, right? Yep. People bring their money together. They pull it together. Whereas when I was growing up, we'd have missionaries come in. They'd come to the churches or they'd come back from overseas on their, whatever you call it. I don't remember what they called it. They would come and they would go to those churches that support them to share what they're doing and then if they were raising support, they would go to that church to present where they're trying to go, what they're trying to do to raise support. And then you'd ask, well, how, how far are you in here? Well, I'm only at like 30% or I'm at 40% or 50% of my needs, you know? And then you could do this for years and never get to the mission field. You know what I mean? And just be bringing in this money and never be able to go out there and do ministry or being a missionary. <clears throat> so in that aspect, again, some of these things, as I was telling my, my reformed pastor friend, it's like they're kind of moving towards trying to correct some things that they see as wrong with the old IFB. Yet they're very hateful. They're 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 the way that they present themselves, as you said, you know, that they're it just does not come across as someone who has the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They just don't have that. It doesn't seem to be there when they're preaching against people that they don't agree with. Some of the other things that they were speaking about that they don't do is they don't have separated Sunday schools anymore. It's family integrated. And some of the reasons that they gave, I agree with them. Um, they said, I'm not going to go to a, a place and put my kids off in a Sunday school and then somebody abuses them or whatever. We're bringing them together. And there's a room. If the mom needs to take their child there, they can go do that. So they're kind of moving that way away from it because there's been a lot of abuse that's come out from some IFB churches. You know, physical abuse, you know, sexual abuse. <clears throat> a lot of these things have come out. To be fair, that's in a lot of places, not just yeah. IFB. And the new IFB isn't immune to this either. No. So it's not like they're doing it they're, in one sense it seems like they're doing it to kind of appease though I'm not I'm not against integrated um, church fellowship I was part of a church that was that way um, for some years in college for the most part my church is that way we have a nursery but outside of that there is no kind of kids program on a Sunday morning um, but there's better reasons than just abuse, though that's a good enough reason. Mm -hmm. But even better, having the mixed generations worshiping together and passing on and showing what does true worship look like. You know, there's, I don't know if that's one of their reasons yeah. for it, but that's, you know, a, a good reason to do it and it's and i'm not saying that the 
you know, Southern Baptists aren't without their problems or the IFB or, I mean, the new IFB, they have their, um, you know, their issues and to, to think about it. But these are things that we should kind of be talking about. The Sunday mm. school model is more recent. It's not something right. you see throughout church history. It kind of mimics the change in the world going and moving education into like the one room schoolhouse and or the kids are leaving to go to school, which is important. Education is important. Um, and the government control with that and the segregation between the classes so that they're somewhat intellect, their intelligence is somewhat similar among the students. Obviously there's variations in there, but at least development, they're very close together and their intellectual, intellectual, intellectual development. And as a church, we need to revisit these things and to think about them anew, but there is just, I don't know. I'm, I feel like, yes, they're correcting things, but stuff that I know about the new IFB is in some ways they're more destructive. Yeah. You know, with their use of some of their language. And this isn't to say that we shouldn't speak against homosexuality or things in the culture that goes against what God has clearly told us to be against, but it's one thing to speak against them. That's another thing to in, in some way speak harm against them. Right. And that is that's that's different. God cares not only about how we tell people they're wrong, but that we care that, that but even our care for the people that we think is wrong. They're still image bearers, marred by sin. They don't know the goodness of God. And these are true things, but they're still an image of God. Yeah. They still proclaim God's glory on the earth. And that the fact that he's created them. And so, you know, and I would say, at least in the IFB churches I've been to, they would hold to that understanding. They're not going to be as willing to say, as David Anzer would say, just execute the homos as he would say. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the right message to say. I mean, you're, you're calling killing people. And I mean, the King James says, thou shall not murder. Right. And there's a, should not kill, thou shall not kill. I mean, kind of even vague than what we use for murder. And yet this kind of, well, they should just execute him. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that they have too, is they have a reprobate doctrine, which this is another thing that they'll say, we agree with some of the things that reformers believe in because they believe that there are reprobates. But where there's a difference is they believe that because they believe in free will, because they believe that 
Everyone has an opportunity. They believe that there are believers and unbelievers, and then there are reprobates. And the reprobates can never be saved. But everyone has a chance. But once you get to a point where, so when it comes to homosexualities, why they're so stiff on that is they believe that everyone that's a homosexual is a reprobate. They can never be saved. But again, that flies in the face of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 when he gives these lists, lists of sins, and he says homosexuality in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think King James might say effeminate. Um, yeah. Well, it's but, homosexuality was yeah, right. 1890s. But, yeah, but the concept, obviously, and what it's referring to is still there, but it says, and such were some of you. They didn't stay in that, that position or in that lifestyle. They came out of it. But they have this reprobate doctrine that they believe that, you know, because of Romans 1, when someone's turned over to that debased mind or reprobate mind, I think it does say that in King James, um, you're turned over to a reprobate mind. There's no coming back, right? And, and I would agree that when God just turns you over to that strong delusion, that the only way you're coming back is if God's going to be the one doing that work. I mean, I think we kind of see some of that with Nebuchadnezzar, right? But we see sometimes where people get so into their uh, desires, they're, they're turned over to that delusion. And then look at what we're seeing in society today. Men thinking they are women, women thinking they're men, abusing children by allowing them to mutilate their bodies to be what they feel like they are. Right. So I get it. There's a strong emphasis of this is this is horrid. This is this is bad. Let's speak out against it. But they have this reprobate doctrine, like I said, that these there's no one once you're homosexual, there's no coming back for you. Yeah, I says I don't. They may disagree, but. Even Paul says today's the day of salvation. Yeah. And that while you still have air in your lungs, you're called to call upon the name of the Lord. And now I feel like I'm going to start sounding like an Arminian Baptist. (laughs) But, uh, you know, there, even in, in Reformed theology, in double predestination, which I hold to, the sinner is still at fault. He's not simply going to hell because he was passed over or not selected by God, but it's because he also sinned. He has done things to offend God. And so that makes salvation purely of God's good pleasure in saving sinners. But even then, like you have that, the doctrine that flies in the face of what God's been trying to do from Genesis 3. Yeah. With the promise to strike the serpent on the head, and he'd bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, who we know now is Christ, who's Jesus, who came and died for our sins. And the whole tenor of scripture is God creating for himself a people 
that he may and that they may enjoy him and have fellowship with him. And you just, the farther you move away from that understanding, you can see the distortions in their views. It's almost as if God doesn't want to save people. Now they would say they're all about soul winning. Unless you don't fit the sins that they think is it in this case, homosexuality and, and the kind of the devious sexual sins. Yeah. Which are not okay, but they're like subset them. But would they say the same thing as murderers or murderers still have a chance to be saved though. They killed an image of God. Yeah. And what is so confusing? Like I, I commented on one of these pastors uh, videos, one of their church websites and said, Hey, our YouTube channel. And I said, you guys are very inconsistent because you say some really hard things against sin, which I agree. We should speak against sin. Of course, the way that they go about it. And I'm not saying I'm always perfect in the way that I come up, come across, you know, in trying to explain something. So you, you want to even give grace sometimes. Maybe somebody says something the wrong way. Maybe they didn't mean it that way. Right. But they're very, it just seems very inconsistent to me. Because when they were speaking against John MacArthur, and I have these clips, I'm, we'll, we'll try to get to them here. Um, but when they speak against John MacArthur and his lordship salvation, that, oh, you, you, you got to do these things to be saved. It's a misunderstanding of lordship salvation to begin with mm-hmm. that they have. But you got to do these things to be saved. And you have to, how do you know you're saved? Well, because there's this evidence, there's this fruit in my life. So you're constantly, this is their arguments, you're constantly looking to your works, your works, your works, when it's that, it's simple. You just believe in Jesus. And even if you're, even if the practice of your life doesn't change, I've heard him say this, even if the practice of your life doesn't have major changes, as long as you've believed in Jesus. So it's kind of like an easy believism, but yet they're so hard on the sins of people. Like, if there, if people within their their circles start to, and James White did something on this a couple of years ago, he brought it up that one of the guys that was in their circles disagreed with them on something theologically, and they they turned on him like a ravenous yeah. ravenous dog, just boom, you know what I mean? Like they turned on him bad, right? And so, wait, what? Where's this grace that you're talking about? And you're so against lordship salvation, right? So let's look at one of these, because this is the thing that that really um, kind of caught my attention. As I, I was looking at some other stuff, I was doing some things on G220 Ministries with writing, or, or not writing, but um, having some videos out there with Marcus Rogers and some, some oneness guys. And then I was looking at some stuff from a KJV only-ist, and then the IFB popped up. Because again, a lot of their KJV. Only it's it's in their tags and stuff like that. So those things are going to show then on my on my my cycle. And so I saw this one video and I took it. I took the little shot of it here that we're going to share and I put it out on my Facebook. And the things that the, 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 let's just listen to this. what he says about John MacArthur here. Um, it's kind of crazy. Let's see here. 
And that gospel is a works-based salvation. It's in every religion in the world. And it's even crept into Christianity to the point that people believe that it takes works to be saved. And, you know, I'm going to get more into that, but today I'm preaching a sermon, um, an entire sermon against just a man, and he's a false prophet. He's definitely a false prophet, a man that's an heretic and a false prophet and against his ministry. His name is John MacArthur. Anybody ever heard of him? Raise your hand if you've heard of John MacArthur, okay? His ministry is called Grace to You. And he gets the name of his ministry from this chapter in Galatians 1. Look at verse 3. It says, grace be to you. See, but his, his ministry is called grace to you. So there, see that B right there? See how it's in italics? So he doesn't believe that that's part of the word of God. So he just calls it grace to you instead of grace be to you. Okay. And I got to stop right there. <laughs> I gotta stop right there because when I when I I laughing like why, I am now. You know why the words didn't tell us? Because it's not there. Because it's not there. They <laughs> that, added it to bring clarity. Right. Granted, they brought right. it to bring clarity. Yes. But it's not. I was just gonna like try to see if I can look it up real quick. But yeah, it's not. It's not there. Right. Well, that's that's you know I didn't know this at first when I first became a Christian and I was I I, I went to this. IFB church that I grew up in. Um, and I, I bought a Bible. I went to the bookstore. I didn't go to a Christian bookstore. I didn't even know there was Christian bookstores. Right. I went to a Barnes and Noble in the mall Ooh. and I walked in and there was this Bible. Right. And it had this two tone kind of color. It was like blue up here and brown down here. And I said, man, blue is my favorite color. I picked it up. I didn't know that it was a version of, of anything. I didn't know there was different. I just, it's a Bible, right? So I go to church and I've got, I have an NIV <laughs> and I didn't know that. And so they gave me a King James Bible, had my name embroidered on it and everything. And I'm like, oh, this is so nice. And I still got the Bible. It's up there. It's, it's falling apart. Like this coming, you know, the seam or whatever you right hear it's coming apart. And I didn't know those things at the, at, when I, when I was a brand new Christian, I didn't know that the italicized wor words were, were words that were added in there so that they can help you understand the sentence structure or for the structure of the sentence so that you could understand it. Right. So I can understand some people not knowing those things, but if you're the one preaching and teaching, this was one of the issues that I, I've had with again. And I love, I'm not, I'm, this is not an attack on IFB brothers and sisters that are, are good, faithful brothers in the Lord, right? But one of the issues that I've had in some cases with IFB uh, churches is they would say, you don't need to learn the Greek, you don't need to learn the Hebrew, because we have the Bible in English. And it is the best, the most inspired Word of God, right? There's no errors in it. It corrects the, the Greek when there's a problem. When there's, a, when there's an issue, the King James corrects the Greek. And it just, when you look at the Greek, you say, but that's not, that's not there. Uh -huh. And I'm trying to understand why those are added in. <clears throat> I know I'm kind of taking a long time on that, but it's just, that's one of those things where it's like, it's funny, but it's not because you're the pastor and you're, this is one of your, like your little jab because he takes out B, uh -huh. you know, it's just and silly, but let's see here if I can, um, 
pull up the Texas Receptus here real quick. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing that, you know, we want to be making our argumentations the best that we can from the best basis that we can. We've been going through world religions in, in our church at Sunday school. And one of the things I've constantly tried to reiterate with uh, the, the, the people that are at our church that are coming to our Sunday school class is that when you're arguing against a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim, you want to be gracious. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt and listen to their argumentations. We want to know the best that we can what it is that they believe so that we can best represent them and not misrepresent them. But even in that, even if you study out Mormonism and you get all their doctrines and then you run into a Mormon on the streets, they're not, they may not even be in line with all of their doctrine. So it's best to listen to what they have to say and hear them out. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times with, with these guys is they don't want to listen to your argumentation they want to just dismiss you right away because you don't have the King James or you're, like he said, taking out this B. Yeah, it's... Um, my wife and I read a book over the Christmas, um, our Christmas vacation. And... Kind of dealing with the King James, and he has a lot of good things to say about the KJ KJV, which we have here have publicly said the KJV um, has it, but it's things like this, this kind of misuse. Well, even if you look in the Texas Receptus, the Greek is that it's Chorus Umen, Grace to you the there is no kind of this a be this verb that's implanted it's grace to you and peace from god and there's a reason even the king james translators knew they were making translations and trying to get it into the vernacular of the people. And we have to remember that. That's what translations are. And so, yeah, we should probably just do like an entire show in King James. It might be something beneficial. And yeah, to no, think I... about some of these issues. Yeah. Yeah, I think we probably, we should. I agree with you. So let's listen to the rest of this uh, short little clip here. Peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So he gets the name of his, you know, and obviously Paul says this in a lot of, of his different epistles. Grace be to you. Um, but now, like I said, his, his ministry is called grace to you. But what it really should be called is hell to you. Because that's what he's promoting because his, his gospel is a false gospel. And he proudly displays it on his website. If you look up the terms lordship salvation, you're going to come up with grace to you. 
and it'll say what John MacArthur believes about lordship salvation. And it'll say that he re believes you have to repent of all your sins and all this other stuff. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Um, so the title of my sermon this morning is really simple and easy to remember. The title of my sermon is called John MacArthur, Go to Hell. John MacArthur, Go to Hell. Let's have a word of prayer. All right, so John MacArthur, Go to Hell. He says it twice. This is the name of his sermon. And then he's like, let's go to prayer. Like, that, that right there, the character of, of a man, the scripture tell us in Titus 3.2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, uh, or the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, and there's more, obviously, but this man is a pastor, right? And you've got people that you're shepherding. Look, I get, I'm angry at times against false teaching. I've actually gone out on the streets and dealing with the Hebrew Israelites and have got caught up in my own pride in interacting with them. So I understand when you hate a false doctrine, when you hate that teaching that's leading people to hell, that it can cause you to get angry. And we should be angry at that but yet still gentle and meek in the way that we are responding to those individuals. Um, you know, it's very inconsistent, like I said, with a lot of these guys, because some of them will say, you know, some of these Calvinists, like some of them are saved. Well, how, how are they saved? If you're, if you're saying all this stuff is so bad, how could they possibly be saved? And it's also a wrong understanding of what Lordship salvation is. Because as strong as they preach against sin, I mean, who's who's preaching works based? A lot of a lot of what I've seen. I want to be careful because I, I have brothers and sisters who are IFB that don't go to these extremes, right? But there's a lot of legalism that comes across. Wearing a suit and tie to come to church. You know, uh, women having to have skirts on. No, no um, pants, right? This is how my wife grew up in an IFB church. Like you could not wear pants. If you wore pants, you were not allowed to serve in the nursery. You had to have always a dress or skirt. And so legalism can come from these types of, of, of thinking, but yet they're against lordship salvation or They'll say, you know, on his website, he says, you've got to repent. I mean, doesn't Jesus come on the scene and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven has a hand? Uh -huh. So what, what, what is this? Where is this disconnect? I don't, I, this is where it kind of bothers me is I just see this inconsistency with these guys. And I'm sure we all have some inconsistencies, but how are they not all seeing that they're telling people to repent of their sins, but yet, or they're preaching against sins, but then arguing against MacArthur because he says, what, repent of your sins? 
I don't know. Yeah. It's No, I haven't. I've it's been a while since I've studied kind of um the free grace that came out of um Dallas Theological Seminary DTS with um I mean Charles Ryrie was one of it was one of them um I think John Hicks was another is one of I've read things on um and they they have that similar line so John Hicks if I'm remembering his name right and his article about it basically says like if someone believes like a verse they find in a bottle and they know anything else about Jesus. They're gonna be saved. They don't they don't know about you know repentance or whatever, but if they trust in that little piece of paper, they'll be saved. Obviously, he's trying to argue here, and this is what would become the Lordship controversy. Um, you know, and thinking through these things, and it, it's kind of a, a dispensational argument. And, but yeah, when, where do you draw that line that someone need that the, the correct action of a saved sinner is repentance? Where is that? Mm -hmm. Where is that kind of? In one sense, understanding that I am total depraved, and I know, and not again, I am. I don't have a lot of experience in IFB churches, so this is not indicating any churches that I have been to. But some clips I've heard, you have this kind of the people in the church are are righteous. They just need to be. Or they're they're not quite righteous because they need to get rid of, um, stop watching those movies or something like that. They're not holy in in some languages with that, and yet there isn't you know maybe more consistently not that call of for repentance. But the Bible, I mean, you said John the Baptist said it, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm -hmm. This is coming from our Lord and Savior. He's calling people to repent. Now, a lot of times some of these will go to John and say, well, John doesn't use repent and 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 the word. And again, this would be a good, another probably show topic to think about kind of the free grace and the dispensational idea but John shows us what lack of repentance is and kind of with uh, Nicodemus in John 3 and then with the woman in well in John 4. She has a changed attitude. That's repentance. Mm-hmm. And not you know, get off too far, but that's kind of been the message from it. Even the Catholic church, as much as they are believing in a false gospel now, 
they understand you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to repent from your sins. And so even their adaptation of what the early church has held shows. And so, yeah, there is that inconsistency of telling people they should repent because they're sinful, but yet saying that you don't need to, that repentance is now this work that saves you, which is what they're really saying about the Lordship salvation. Yeah. And, and again, I don't know if they use the word repent to the people that they're telling to repent, but in their teaching, that's if you're preaching again, teaching against sin and repentance is a change of mind and you want your people to have a change of mind, that if they're smoking cigarettes, don't smoke cigarettes again anymore, right? Or if they're drinking some alcohol, don't drink alcohol anymore. If they're going to the movie pictures, don't go to the movie pictures anymore. You know, if because th those are things. And, and I say those things because I know that some IFB churches have problems with those kind of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so those types of things are reasons why we we see legalism happen there. But what you're doing is you're telling these individuals to basically have a change of mind about those things to stop doing them. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that repentance? Isn't that a change of mind? So even if you don't use the word, and even if John, John MacArthur and anyone, like we've had this charge brought against us at G220 because on the website, it tells people to repent. And the hyper grace guys are saying, you don't tell people to repent, you know? So anyway, here's another one of one of these guys, again, a different guy, pastor, but um, yeah, he's got some, some harsh, hard things to say about MacArthur. And this is a video I did on G220 Ministries YouTube channel. I'm going to try to play the first section and then maybe skip through, um, or let me see if I can come through here. This time I want to take a look at a man. Let me just bring it up here. You know, Here and what does go. it mean to mark? It means to call out the names. That's what it means. He's a Calvinist. He teaches that you have to persevere into the end in order to prove your salvation. That's a damnable heresy. And that's why we call the names. That is why we tell you who he is. That's why we tell you where his church is. And look, I'm not the kind of pastor who's going to tell you, you know, oh, oh, just stay away from him. I'm just going to preach against them. And if you want to follow him off a cliff, do me a favor and do so. Because if you like his preaching, if you love him, if you think he's such a great guy, then you know what? You're just as bad as he is. You know, we ought to rebuke them sharply. So this is why I'm preaching against him. Well, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's wrong on that, but you should, you know, stand with him because he's keeping church open. Look, folks, I want him to get the coronavirus and die. That's what I want. The guy is 81 years old. I hope he gets the coronavirus. I hope he gets, you know, pneumonia and I hope he dies and splits hell wide open. Why? Because he's caused many to split hell wide open by his damnable heresy. What in the world is wrong with you when you know that Calvinism is wicked? You know that John MacArthur has been called out multiple times for being a wicked person, and yet you're, you're praising him for keeping his church doors open? So those of you out there listening to the sermon, mad, you know, go jump in the lake. Go, read, go jump in a lake come with, with a waterproof Bible and read it. And see if what John MacArthur teaches lines up. 
with the Bible. So reason number one, why is John MacArthur an abomination in the sight of God? Because he's highly esteemed among men. And that should always be a red flag to you. You know, when you see, by the way, John MacArthur is your modern day Charles Spurgeon. They're both Calvinists. They're both very popular. You know, they both write a bunch of books that Christians pass around. They think it's the greatest. But you know what? Charles Spurgeon is also in hell. That guy also taught a lordship salvation. That guy was also teaching damnable heresies. And let me say this very clearly. Let me just let you know how I feel about John MacArthur. I hate his guts. Amen. The guy is, the, he is the filth of this world. Amen. He's garbage. He's crap. And I hope he dies. Amen. Shame on you for saying such a thing. Shame on him for damning so many people to hell. You know how many people in hell are thankful for what I'm saying right now? Because they were damned because of him. Well, I've already gave some commentary on that a little bit uh, over on GT20. But man, listen to that. That's that's hateful. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> look, there's a fuzzy line in the Christian Christian prayer life of impeccatory prayers. I'll admit that. There's scripture. I think it's right to pray them. I think we understand them differently in light of the New Testament. But there's something again, and I, I mentioned this earlier. He's speaking about this about someone who's made in the image of God. Now, yes, we're to call out false teachers. Yes, we're to mark them out to to know who they are. But I think there's a difference in saying calling them and they're teaching what it is. But then there's a a different thing about saying, well, he should get the coronavirus and die. Mhm. That's and as much I mean this would be for us saying well Joel Osteen should get the coronavirus and die and like preaching on that because he's part of the health wealth gospel and no shock to our to our listeners we think he's a he's a heretic But you've crossed the line when you start to think about that people should die. Now, I think it's appropriate prayer that God deals with them as he ordains. Whether that they see their errors and repent and be saved. Or that God gives them the judgment they're setting up for themselves and how that, and that may sound similar, but it's a different understanding because while I think Joel Steen is wrong and is heretic her and heretical, I don't want him to go to hell. Why right. would I want someone to feel the wrath of God for eternity? That's cold and that's harsh. 
it would be better for him to for God to open up his eyes to see his heretical teaching to repudiate it and trust in Christ and to to understand the true gospel and even in that you know you see him say that same thing with homosexuality but again their fruit shows us that they're not of Christ yeah did Christ preach in that way from the examples we have yes he called out the Pharisees yes he said that they make people twice the sons of hell as they are he called them out for their wrongdoing. But he never once said they should die. He he tried to, in one sense, witness them, to teach them, to show them the errors that they may turn and be right with God. I mean, John the Baptist, when they come out to see him, who told you to come from to flee from the wrath. And that they still didn't believe. I think, and that's, that's the distinction between a Christian who understands their position in Christ, knowing their depravity and how great a savior God is versus ones that again everything has to be perfect you have to believe the right bible translation the right doctrine the right views and if you're not you're a heretic damned for hell if that's the case presbyterians are heretics they can't be saved if we wanted to to think about it but that's i mean the, the reformation would have been destroyed and and we see what happened in the reformation between zwingli and luther and their disagreement on the lord's supper yeah. it fractured the reformation it split it up it ultimately cost zwingli his life I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the show this isn't the brightening, bright shining moment of Luther that we all want to think about. And those are the realities. But when you niche yourself down to this specific view, there is, again, this hate that is foreign to the Bible. We're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who persecute us. And even if John MacArthur is a heretic, which I don't believe he is, his response should be to pray for him that he be saved. Not that he would get coronavirus and die. There's my two cents on that. Yeah. Well, one of the things that kind of comes to my mind, too, that I would love to ask this this pastor is, um, <clears throat> and I say that loosely, because with this kind of um, rhetoric that comes out of him, 
I just I find it very hard to believe that this man has experienced the grace of God. Um, <clears throat> but he could just be under the influence of the people that have been leading him, and he's you know just deceived, self-deceived. But the question I would love to ask is, um, what do you do with John Calvin? Because so many of these arguments that you hear about John Calvin is, oh, he was a murderer. You know, he put Servetus to death. Right. Not really understanding how that happened. He tried to even keep mm -hmm. Servetus from coming there because he knew he would have been put to death because that's how they dealt with heretics back then. Right. But how are you, if that's your argument, which does come from a lot of IFB churches that I've interacted with that were against Calvinism. If that's your argument, and again, I don't know that it is for him, but if that is your argument, how are you any different by saying you wanted John MacArthur to get the Rona so that he could die, get pneumonia because he's 81 years old. I think he's 82 now, but, uh, and get, get the Rona and die. that's, how are you any different if that's your argument? I just, God does it. Calvin, who had no authority to do such a thing because he wasn't even a citizen of Geneva. Um, Calvin laid hands on him. He's the theological witness that that killed him. Yeah. Um, you know, and the neglect the fact that John Calvin, instead of burning him, offered that they should do it more nicely by just cutting his head off. Um some showing some grace there even with it and as you said he told him not to show up and the only reason they knew is because he showed up in the back of john of john calvin's church but i think yeah that point is is pointed there you're still wanting someone to die now you're not saying that someone in your church should do it but you're still saying this person should die because he's a heretic. So you're no better than what was commonplace in the time of the Reformation with the Spanish Inquisition and the killing of the Anabaptists and heretics. Just that's how church state relations worked. Um, for better, or for ill, how with it? Obviously, I don't believe that we should be killing. Baptists or heretics, but that's the culture they're in. And yet they are kind of in one sense regressing back in, in church history and kind of going back to an era that we would probably say probably wasn't the best shining light of Christian public relations yeah um that rightly so that maybe the state shouldn't have control over what religious institutions do i maybe this is just me as an american wanting my freedoms i'll take that but i mean that's still the thing you, the passages you read here i got second timothy Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Mm -hmm. Able to teach, patient enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Look, I have no, 
and he can speak against Mark, Mark, Mark uh, John MacArthur if he thinks he's a heretic. That's fine. But the Bible tells us how this should be done. And correcting his opponents with gentleness, not telling them he sh they should die. Even Paul, later on in 2 Timothy, when he talks about Alexandrus, and he tells Timothy to avoid him, he doesn't say, you should wish that he dies. Even Demas, who fell in love with the world and has left him, Paul isn't saying, well, he should die. Like These are not just what the Bible says. And that's not what church history, until the conflation of kind of the Roman Holy Empire and the idea of keeping that the church and the state have to keep heretics down. Do you start seeing these things again? I think we can see that's inappropriate and wrong. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're kind of towards the end of the program here. We went a little bit over, but I have one more video that I would like to play a little bit of it. It's like six minutes. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, but this is, we, we looked at some of their character. Now let's look at some of the things that they have, uh, for doctrine. And this is kind of what I was talking to you about a little bit before the program. Uh, just some things that they teach here. Was Jesus always a man? The answer is yes. Jesus was always a man. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yesterday and today and forever. And Let me explain something to you. Jesus Christ was man in his body, soul, and spirit. Okay, and I'm going to prove this to you, but he has all three, and they're all three part of man, and they're all divine. Now, Jesus Christ, before he came to this earth, he still had a body, soul, and spirit. What, this is what's cool to me, okay? There was never a point in time when Jesus Christ was not 100% man and 100% God. Jesus Christ was always the Son of Man. He's always been the Son of Man. He's always been the Son of God. Those things... He's, 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 I'm the Lord, I change not. Okay, he was those things from eternity past. He's those things in eternity future. But something changed about him. His state changed when he became flesh. His state changed when he died. And his state changed when he rose again from the dead. So he's always been that. You know how we got a body? Because we were made in his likeness. We were made in his image. He had a body, he had a soul, and he had a spirit. And you know what he made? He made a man with a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, to sit there and teach the stupidity that says, well, his body is the human part and his spirit's the God part. The production of a, of a physical human body. Okay, so the, the whole point of the virgin birth is that his physical body is produced not from two human parents, but from one person on this earth, one earthly parent, Mary, and God the Father is the other parent. So therefore, Jesus' physical body is divine. So the point is that Mary gave birth to Jesus, and we know that Mary was a virgin. Am I right? So therefore, there's no earthly father to Jesus. It's just Mary. So who's the father then? Because in order for a child to be born, there's got to be a mother and a father. You can't just have one. You've got to have both. 
and the Father is God the Father. So Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus Christ's Father is God the Father, and His mother is the Virgin Mary. Mary is an earthly woman, and obviously God the Father is heavenly, right? And so this union of those two components produce the Lord Jesus. Okay. Now, then it's going to be a female. All right. I'm going to stop that there because uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and speak on it. Now, before you do that, though, I got these clips from, and I want to give it to this guy's credit. I don't know enough, a lot about this guy that put this stuff together, but he does speak on it. And he makes a comparison that they're teaching Mormon doctrine. Right. Um, and that's what came to my mind as I'm also listening to it. Like that little video comes to mind where the old cartoon video of the father coming down to Mary, you know, and they produce Jesus. But anyways, the guy's name is Jeff Dollar and it's the new IFB attacks on Manly Perry expose Stephen Anderson as teaching Mormon doctrine. Um, that's the title of the video. Uh, if you want to go look at it in its whole, again, I don't know Jeff Dollar. I don't know anything about him. So this is an endorsement of him. I'm just giving credit. That's his video where he had those clips. That's where I came across this. But go ahead, Mike. So if I remember right in Mormon doctrine, kind of the difference from this and what Mormon doctrine is, I may be wrong, is that Jesus is already like a spiritual person and everyone's already a spiritual person and they're given a human body. Right. Um, which makes it a little <clears throat> bit different. What it sounds like to me a little bit is old Greek God epics, old Greek epics, kind of these demigods of like Hercules would be an example. He has a godfather and a a human mother. It sounds more so. Like, he's like a Superman, like a superhuman. Yeah, like, yeah, he's again kind of this. Well, I mean, the best word would be a demigod, and kind of this mixture of it. Now, I think they're saying that kind of the whole divine thing takes over um and there's a lot that i can probably say and i'll try to limit my comments but one of the first things it says is that the spirit created jesus in mary's womb that the spirit was part of this and i think this is important because the spirit is the one who's hovering over the face of the earth before creation and then the same language is used of the spirit hovering over Mary when Jesus is conceived. I take this to be a miraculous act. There's kind of no funny business going around and how we do it. But even that, like even if you take the first clip to you that Jesus has always had a body from eternity past, How big was Jesus when all this happened? Like if Jesus always has a body, unlike what the ch the children, the boys and girls catechism says, when they ask her, does Jesus have a, does God have a body? And says, or who is God? And says, um, God is a spirit and does not, does not have a body like man. 
Yeah. Obviously, this isn't the classical understanding of what happens. That Jesus, as God, as the Son of God, assumes or takes upon himself a human body. But they do not come together. They're separate. And in what we can say in the way to describe it is that when Jesus was born as a baby to Mary, he at the same time was upholding the universe in which he was born into. And that the natures of Christ do not mingle together. Right. And that when there are times that Jesus speaks and he speaks as a point of his humanness. When Jesus says he does not know the hour of the second coming, he speaks to that as a human. He has not been revealed to that as, as a human, but obviously he's God. He knows. He's fully divine, fully man, truly God, truly man. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. And... There's a reason why shortly after the Arian debates, you get into now the natures of Christ. How do we understand it? Are they completely separate? Are they combined? Or are they together? So are they together but not commingled? Kind of the the hypostatic union uh-huh. is what I'm trying to get at, and this I mean this happens very shortly after, and so again I mean in, in one sense they're kind of digging up an old heresy similar to what um, I forgot the name before the show but now it's called monophysitism is kind of that idea that there are one that the divine nature and the human nature have come together into one person. Now they've added things to it. It's not exactly what would have been an old heresy, but it's similar. But if Jesus isn't completely like us, he can't die for our sins. I mean, that's the whole argument in the early church when dealing with Nestorian dealing with Arianism is this kind of repeated idea that if Jesus is not like us, he cannot die for our sins. A man has to die for our sins. And that means his body can't be divine because God cannot die. Yeah. Well, later in that clip, he does say, it goes on, and I didn't play the whole, um, uh, Mike King's asking what you said, but that whole clip where Steven Anderson actually does say, and all you people asking like, um, uh, can God die? He says, that's so, that's a stupid question. You can ask, you can ask that question when you're in hell. Like this is what he says in the rest of that video, because he says it's a stupid question because Jesus died and Jesus is God. And again, it's, this is what I'm saying. Like I was listening to this and I'm like, this just, it's not orthodox understanding of the divine and human. Now he says, to be fair, 
Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. But it doesn't sound like he understands it, you know, with what they're saying here. And like you said, God cannot die. Christ in his humanity dies. It's not, he never ceases from being God. Yeah, it almost seems maybe the opposite of um, they use, I I can think of the passage, they use um, Philippians 2 um, the uh, canonic theory that kenosis kenosis yeah um that jesus gives up his divine abilities i don't know if they're if that's what they would have um but it kind of seems that way um but then as i mentioned like you don't there's would be passages hard to understand how does the son not know when the second coming is if he's divine if he's always been divine he's divine on earth um, it makes more sense in kind of the historic Christian teaching is that the Christ that the life that Christ lives in the body to the cross driven and controlled by the spirit is an example of how we can also live the same life. Now we are given the same spirit to live in this life. Now where you have to overcome sinfulness but that's what sanctification does. And it gives us the the perfect example on how we can live in this life. But if you start saying Jesus has had a body, he was divine in his person, you start now kind of eroding away um, some of those... Um, important tenets that we receive in the gospels. Yeah. And Mike asked about that. I think that's the one you were saying was monophysticism. But even in that, like I said, to be fair, this is just that he has one nature, but it's, it's, I don't know if that's what they're saying because it's they're not exactly. The yeah. Same. Cause they're, it's like, they're saying that he has a human nature and a divine nature, but they're making it together later in that clip. He says he's got, God DNA and 100% Mary or, you know, human DNA and it's together. So it's like, it's like this mixing together. That's, that's like a different heresy. Yeah. They're adding, like, that's what I'm saying. Like there's a lot of stuff here. That's bad. Unbiblical teaching. And Steven Anderson's in that clip. And like, he is the, the main influencer of this new IFB. And that's, there's not a head. It's not like there's a Pope in there. They're independent. They believe in the local church only. Um, But it's still, he's the main guy that has influenced these. I don't know why I keep doing that with my hands, but anyway. um, Yeah. So it's, it's, that's, that's a little bit of the new IFB. Um, This was our open chat uh, for tonight. We went a little bit longer than we normally do. Um, thanks for coming in, Mike King. Conversations with Christians. Go check them out over on YouTube. Good brother there. Uh, he's got a podcast over there that he's um, using YouTube uh, to reach out to people. So check him out. But yeah, uh, man, Mike, I don't know, man. Want to go join the new IFB? No. 
No. It's not. I mean... I'm not going to willingly join a denomination in a loose understanding of the word um, that is heretical. <laughs> you know, at least yeah. I can say that I hold to the gospel that was preached for once for all. But yeah, Jesus had a body when he was born. When he assumed right. it. That's what the whole incarnation. Is. We just celebrated it. Yeah. He became incarnate. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's been G220 Radio uh, for tonight. Uh, next week, we will be back. Um, not exactly sure what we got on the, the plate for next week. Um, Mike and I will talk about that this week, and we'll figure that out. But... Um, you want to tune in, we're here every Tuesday night, uh, 9 p.m. Uh, try to do some open chat here. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. You know, may maybe, you know, we'll just open it up and let people come in. They can ask questions, comments, um, throw something out at us and uh, um, do that every once in a while. But uh, we tried it tonight and let's see, you know, it is what it is. So that's been G220 Radio and uh, until next time, God bless and good night.